So if you've got your Bibles and you want to open them up with you on your phone, if you've got the physical with you, however you tend to go to Scripture, um, want to walk through these 11 verses from the start of uh, Matthew 21 today. Look at what it teaches us. Look at what we can learn from it for ourselves today. Uh, why is Palm Sunday such an important part of, of the church year? And first up, we have verse 1. And verse 1 tells us that as they approached Jerusalem, Jesus sent two of his disciples out on mission. And this isn't the first time Jesus has sent people out in pairs, is it? Those of you who know your scriptures will know that he's done it many times. Kind of, he has an idea that we go in partnership with him, but also not alone, and we go with others. We're not a, a lone ranger. I always think it's funny that we call the lone ranger the TV show, and then he always has someone with him, right? He's not alone. He's just simply the only ranger. Um, but we're not sent alone. We're always sent with our trusted ally, our trusted friends on mission together. Uh, in the same way we have mission partners, and we had Lutheran World Relief with Emma here today, sharing about some of the things we do together. Even when we can't physically be there in, in different parts of the world, we can aid others in being there. But again, they are not alone. They are with others in partnership, either local partnership on the ground or the people that they've gone with on mission. And this reminded me, as I just touched on that, that, that verse, and then the following few verses of the mission that Jesus gives, it took me back to uh, Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the 72. Because he appoints them, and then he sends them, and he sends them into every town that Jesus himself is going to go into. And he uses the words as he sends them that the harvest is plentiful. It's ripe, but there are few laborers. And so we need to pray earnestly for laborers of the harvest. And he says, I'm going to send you as lambs in the midst of wolves. This is for me, a very important verse. And I kind of should have taken more attention of that last line than I did. Um, because I remember reading this as a young man um, and the call to be praying for laborers. And so I prayed for laborers. And then I became an answer to my own prayer. And I got sent into a den of wolves. <laughs> no, we are the sheep. We are the lambs. No. But the den of wolves, I got, I got sent into a den of wolves. And, and I remember struggling. And, and there are still difficulties today. As you all will be aware, you all have your own difficulties in your struggles, in the ministries that you're involved in. But it's that journey that journey of sharing the joy of the gospel and the people who God puts with us as he sends us. And what is that mission? 
as we are sent. The mission is to share the good news. And the good news is, whoever we meet, the good news is very simple. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. That's it. Full stop. Accept that, then we can talk more. (laughs) But initially, God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. The onus is on the people we are sent to to respond and make that decision. But the mission here that the disciples were given, the two that Jesus chose, is to go into a village to find a donkey and her colt that are tied up and to take them. I know scripture says thou shalt not steal. Okay? But this has been preordained. This is, this is already, Jesus has got it. He's, some say, oh, maybe he had a conversation with the owner in advance. Um, or he just knew where they were going to be and he just knew that if somebody asked, the simple words, the master needs them, is going to be enough for it to take place. But the funny thing here is that Jesus didn't need two animals. But they get two animals. They get the donkey and they get the colt. But he didn't need to. He's not going to kind of do a stunt with a foot on each one like you see on some of these shows. He's going to sit and he's riding on one of them. And he's going to ride on the foal. Why? Well, we carry on reading and it tells us why. It tells us to fulfill prophecy. Particularly prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Which reads... Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout loud, O daughter Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming and riding on a donkey. He's humble. And before we look at specifically Jesus riding in on that colt, I just want to pick up that call to rejoice. Yeah, it's Palm Sunday. We look at Zechariah 9.9, and he says, rejoice. And it's not the first time he's kind of pointing to this proclamation need, because he does the same in chapter 2. And and in verse 10, he says, sing and rejoice, O daughter Zion, for behold, I come and I dwell in your midst. And that is a call for the people of Jerusalem to rejoice. And it's, it's kind of a counter to not be the people of Babylon. Because earlier in, in that chapter, uh, Zechariah talks about being, go, get, get up, escape Zion from those who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Right? We are called to be people who rejoice. But what are we rejoicing for? What is it that is bringing us this bubbling up of joy? So Jesus grabs those disciples. He says, you two go. Tells them what he wants them to do. And off off they go. And if you will, we know he's picked the donkey, the colt, Because of that prophecy. But he could have used a horse, maybe. Or sat in a chariot 
in the same way that Pilate was probably sat in a chariot at exactly the same time entering Jerusalem from the other end with a whole force behind him of a Roman column. Like a decent procession, not just a man on a donkey. But he chooses the donkey because of the prophecy to point to who he is. So the people who would have known the scripture, who would have known exactly what they were looking for, could connect the dots. It's symbolic. Jesus is the Messiah, and the people begin to proclaim him as such because they connect these dots between what they are seeing and what they know to have been told will happen. And today's, today, yeah, it's Palm Sunday. It's a very high holy day. It's the beginning of the most holy week that we ever live in. And this act, this act that we've, we've had um, read for us today from Scripture that we're looking at, this very act of Jesus entering the city on a donkey galvanizes his opponents. It makes all those who are saying, I'm not sure about this guy. And they've already said, um, when sort of looking at his, his miracles, well, we know that Moses was sent from God. This guy we're not so sure about. It brings all of those people who have got those doubts, who are in the upper echelons of, of the society, the Pharisees, other teachers of the law, the scribes. And they're getting together. And it's this act that really forces their hand to say, even though we don't agree with each other, we've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to get rid of this guy. But the crowd... The crowd who were on the, on, the, on the floor, they decide to shout Hosanna. They proclaim Jesus to be the rightful king. And okay, a few days later, they may be swayed by this galvanized group. And what is all that about? And what happens in all of that? They get cloaks. And the disciples put a couple of cloaks on the back of the, of the donkey. And others take off their cloaks and lay them on the floor for Jesus to ride over. And that is again symbolic. It's teaching, it's, it's letting people see what's happening because it points to kind of procession of a king. It points to inauguration, if you will. Because King Jehu did the same. People took off their cloaks for him in the same way, which is in 1 Kings 1. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's in 2 Kings. And in 1 Kings 1, Jesus is riding uh, pointing to that by riding in on a donkey because in there, David says, take Solomon, my son, and put him on my mule and lead him to go and get ordained as the next king. 
So all of this is happening, not just because of the, the prophecies that Jesus is pointing to, but he's also dragging up things that people will know has happened as a way of kind of backing it up, if you will. And we call Palm Sunday Palm Sunday because of the palms that are ripped off the, uh, off the branches, that are laid at his feet, that people are waving. And all of that is really got religious precedence. And if you've got a, an apocrypha at home and you want to sit and read uh, Maccabees, one and two Maccabees, they both have evidence of this having happened at different times through history. In, uh, in 1 Maccabees chapter 13, there's a, it's written, uh, starting in verse 51, that on the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, the Jews entered it, and by it they're talking about the Jerusalem citadel, uh, with praise and with palm branches, with harps, with stringed instruments, and they sang songs and hymns because the great enemy had been crushed. The great enemy had been crushed and many people saw Rome as this big enemy and they were proclaiming Jesus is here to crush it because they didn't fully understand what the Messiah was going to do but they knew that was how to receive him. And then in 2 Maccabees chapter 10, the same as they've sort of re-sanctified, purified the temple. They take ivy-wreathed wands, they take... Uh, fronds of palm, and they offer songs and hymns of thanksgiving to him who has successfully allowed the purification of his own holy place. The palms point to God. The palms point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And that, that's all the context of what Jesus is doing as he enters Jerusalem, what we call the, the triumphal entry. And I laugh at that a little bit because, yes, he's entering to have triumph eventually, but it's not that triumphant. It's not when you compare it to what was happening at the other end of the city with all the pomp and the circumstance and the Roman column and then Pilate. Now, that's a procession. If you, if you had to buy a ticket to one of them, <laughs> you're probably going to pick the one that's going to give you more to look at. But there's cloaks. There's lots of palm waving. Palms were going on the floor to lay the path for Jesus. It's all creating a buzz. It's all creating... Uh, a kind of uplifted feeling for the people. And it leads to them shouting as we read in, in, uh, in verse 9. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See the people, they're professing Jesus to be the Messiah. That he is the anointed one. The one that has been promised to them. And everything is pointing them to this. Kind of their, their senses are being triggered. You know, they're reminded of, of the prophecies. They're reminded of, of what's happened in the past. And they're, they're kind of linking it all together. And they're, 
they're getting this buzz. And the whole procession. And, and some of them might just be getting carried away in the crowd mentality. But the whole city is asking questions of what's happening? What's going on? And in verse 10, there's the answer of, of, of well, the question of what's, what's stirring all the people. To which verse 11 then says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Okay, and what does that do? That takes us all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Back into Galilee, where he first began to be noticed for his teaching, for, for his miraculous healings. But now the time has come for him to be known as the Messiah, not simply the prophet. And that's what the people are proclaiming. And today is... It's Palm Sunday, and there's a change in the way that we as a church look at the season that we're in of Lent. Lent is, 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 is drawing to a close. We're entering Passion Week, and so the church colors changing to red. Changing to red because we're looking really into Jesus' passion, into the spilling of his blood for our sins. Because... We can be like the crowd. We can be one day proclaiming, Hosanna! And getting all excited. And a couple of days later, crucify him. On one hand, we want to follow Jesus, but on the other, we want to be in the world and happy and not have many problems. But our call to mission is to hold those two things together, but not at the expense of Hosanna. We're called to share God's love with whoever, whether they accept him or not, but we cannot and must not do that at the expense of the gospel message, at what scripture teaches and sometimes that creates a tension. But that's where we're placed. That's what God wants us to be doing right now in that mission. To help those who are in need and not say, well, you've got to love Jesus first before I help you. We help them, but we let them know we're helping them because of the love of Jesus. Whether they want to accept it or not, they're still going to get the help. So how do we do that with our friends, with our family? We love them. We build relationship with them. But if they don't agree with Scripture, we don't water that down. We don't um, choose to ignore or cherry pick bits that don't align with what they like or how they want to live, or what we're going to change and how we believe because of what the world is doing. Because the idea of Scripture is, well, you believe it or you don't. And if there's a bit of it you don't like and choose not to believe, then actually you don't believe any of it. Because it's a united body of text 
that God has spoken to his people. So we're entering this holiest of weeks. And that act this morning, as we've sang words of praise, and we're going to sing more words of praise, but what we need to do is we need to look again at our attitude of worship, of how that positions us for the week ahead. Because we proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. And we can lift the roof with hallelujahs. But we need to continue in that mindset. We need to continue in that attitude of worship. Because we can, like I said, just like that crowd, we can turn very quickly. Even if we didn't want to. But we've got to want to want to stay in the right attitude. So that when we fall, our want is to be in the right attitude, we're going to return. So we proclaim Jesus the Messiah. We've raised that roof. We're going to stay in an attitude of worship. We're going to pray that we don't slip away. We're going to pray that our thoughts align with Scripture and not with what the world tells us is right. I'm going to invite the band back up and they're going to lead us in a song of response. And as we do that, we're going we're gonna to be singing about the king. We're going to be singing that his kingdom never ends. And if you got a palm cross when you came in, you can wave it around when you're singing. You can dance up and down the aisles. It's all right. We're not on stream right now. Okay? So even if you got caught, I can edit it out later. <laughs> Internet went down, so we're just recording, and people at home, you'll be able to watch it later. But let's sing to the king whose kingdom never ends, and let's wave our palm branches and our palm crosses in recognition of his kingship. Let's sing.